So if you have a Bible, you can open up to chapter 25 of 2 Chronicles. And as we read these chapters the other night on Tuesday, the last of the chapters we read deals with King Amaziah. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at some life lessons from the life of King Amaziah and looking to come up with title ideas or how to link these experiences of his life into topics and whatnot. I just really gave the title, The Folly of Amaziah. And as we know, when we go through these kings, some are great kings, some are good kings, and some are really bad kings. And there's some interesting things about this man and his life that really jump out at us, unique from other kings in his story. For example, there in verse 2, it says of Amaziah that he, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. That's a pretty unique phrase because we don't really see that with the kings. Like they're usually like he did his right, but not like his father David, or he did all his right like his father David, like for Jehoshaphat or Hezekiah and Josiah. But it's or or I'll say like evil summary of the the legacy of this political spiritual leader for the nation of Israel. And again, our timeline's about 850 BC. We're about 60, 70 years now removed from King Solomon. Actually, a little more than that. And we're just getting into these series of kings that were reigning over the southern kingdom of Israel. Judah and the two tribes down there, Judah and Benjamin. And so he comes to us. And then we also read, as summarizing things in the first verse, that he was 25 years of age when he came to become, when he became the king, and he reigned 29 years. So about, you know, 54, 55 years was his life. 25 years, that's, you know, that's the age when you expect men to be men and carry themselves like men and do the things that men do. And that's when he became king. So he's not a young king like his father Jehoash became king when he was seven right? And so different kind of story for his dad. His dad was assassinated in like a coup sort of element. And so that what preceded him was his dad and his dad's reign. His dad did well as long as the priest was alive that guided him. But as soon as the priest died, his dad did evil and then killed the son of the priest who was a prophet for saying what he didn't want to hear. So his dad didn't really have a good ending at all. Now, his son's going to be Uzziah, who, who was a king for more than four decades. So it's interesting. He kind of, where he comes from and who followed him, we just kind of, here he is, Amaziah, 30 years. We'll round it off to 30 years. 30 years is a long time. If you've been married 30 years, that's a long time. If you had a job for 30 years, that's definitely a career where they give you a plaque when you retire or something. Like 30 years is, is, is a long time. And it's a good run. And he stepped into eternity right about the time many of us start thinking about what we're going to do for retirement at 55, right? So that's, that's where he's at in life. And we're told that he, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. Such an unusual phrase. Now, in this chapter, he's the whole chapter. There is sort of a slippery slope where it starts with something good and then just ends with just the worst case scenario. And we can't really candy coat these stories because they are what they are and they're written for our admonition to learn and grow from. And just so as we learn good things from Jehoshaphat, we're going to learn some challenging things from Amaziah. Now, one other survey before we get into actual reading text is there are these events, as I mentioned, that talk about his life. Essentially, they're summarized in three conversations where the man of God, the prophet of God, and then the king of Israel in the north spoke things to him. And the emphasis on this chapter is his response to those things that were spoken to him and where it led him. So it was choices. It was the Lord intervening, trying to speak to him and guide him. 
and, and that's really what we're going to get into. And the real two events that connect each other are is when he went to go fight a battle with the Edomites in the south, and then he went to go fight Israel in the north after that. That's the, the main elements of the chapter. But it's noteworthy that when he's introduced to us, the first thing he did was execute the men who conspired against his dad. But he did not execute their children. And I point this out not because it's really a point or an application tonight, but it says something about that and shows us something about him where it says that he did it was written in the law of the book of Moses. It's very, this is where we get that he did what was right. As a politician and with civil government, when he executed those men, he, he made them pay for their crimes of conspiracy and treason, but he did not, which was the custom of the day, dish out penalty upon the children to execute them as well, which is really common in monarchical systems in human history. So his introduction to us as we come into our text is so far, you, we might say if it's baseball, he's one for one. Yeah, one, one key decision. It was the right decision, and it says it was according to the law of Moses. Good for him. That's how he started. So now we pick it up in verse 5, where we read about this first element of his life story. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set, them, set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their father's house, throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above, and he found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel, up there in the north, for 100 talents of silver. They're mercenaries. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. That's one of the ten tribes of the north. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy. For God has power to help and to overthrow. Now we get Amaziah's response. He says, uh, then Amaziah said to the man of God, but, but what shall we do about the hundred talents which I've given to the troops of Israel? He's thinking about the money, you know. And the man of God answered, saying, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. Then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people, he went out to the Valley of Salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir, the Edomites. Also, the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock, and cast them down from the top of the rock, so they're dashed in pieces. It's war. War is never pretty. Verse 13. But as the soldiers of the army which Amaziah discharged, so they would not go out with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon, killed 3,000 in them, and took much spoil. So this is the first part of application we get tonight with Amaziah, where he had made a, a bad decision. It was a bad decision to yoke himself or hitch his wagon to Israel in the north. We saw this with Jehoshaphat. When Jehoshaphat said, let's do a business deal with the northern kings like Solomon did. Let's go get gold. What happened to the fleet of ships? It was destroyed. We, we saw when he tried to go to war with Ahab together against Syria in the north, what happened? Ahab dies, and Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord and was miraculously delivered because God loved him, and he was being foolish, but God spared him like the song Danny just sang about mercy. That's what Jehoshaphat found. We know that the northern kingdom... Of the 20 kings in the north, not one was good. There was never a king that sought the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, morally, personally, 
or civil law of the Lord or the religious law of the Lord. In fact, they set up false idolatry systems with Baal and others to keep the northern tribes from going down to Jerusalem to the temple and worshiping God in the prescribed manner. There was never anything the northern tribes ever did to bring the political leaders to bring the blessings of God upon them. Now, we know there's individuals in the north that had blessings because they chose obedience, particularly like Elijah and Elisha the prophets and those who listened to him. But politically, all 20 kings of the northern kingdom, they were taken away in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. None were good. So the 19 kings in the south, Judah had some good kings. But every time they tried to do anything with the northern kings, it just wasn't good. Because it's like the Bible says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And in this type of unequally yoked situation... We're like Corinthians might say in the New Testament, what fellowship has Christ with the table of demons? And you just, you just, you know, sometimes you can kind of get along and tolerate one another at work because you have to and your neighbors because you have to. But when you're entering into partnerships and marriage and things like that, it just unequally yoked is unequally yoked. And no matter how much you want to make it look pretty, it's, it's not. And no, ma- no matter how much you might want God to bless something like that, he's not going to bless it. Okay? There's going to always be consequences. So in this case, he sought, he hired this huge army from the north to go fight Esau in the south. Now, Jehoshaphat had had a great victory over the people of the Edomites, the descendants of Esau in the south. We saw that in the previous chapters with Jehoshaphat. There's just perpetual enemies. And so he's going out to do war as a king, and he's got to do what he's got to do. But unlike Jehoshaphat, who cried out to the Lord for deliverance when the numbers were against him, he hires these mercenaries, these ruthless men from the north, to be with him. So that's his bad decision. So men, women, we can all think back to times we made a bad decision. A decision in our own self-will. Like, yeah, this is the, the best option where there's no good options. And you, you maybe push the panic button. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to give this relationship with this guy just one more chance, even though he treats me like dirt. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep putting money in this investment, even though it just keeps losing, losing, losing. See, the more we yoke our wagon to a bad thing, the more our pride and emotion gets attached to it. And they tell you in business investments, listen, admit your mistakes really quick. You know, don't, don't just, don't, you don't have to feel attached to something when it's a loser. You got to be able to let it go. In fact, Luke Caldwell, the real estate investor of Boise, told me one time, Joey, you need to recognize houses that are dogs, and you got to let them go no matter how cute, how cute you think they are. And life's like that. There are times where we feel like we have the best decision, but it's not really a spiritual decision. It's our decision. We need to move into this place. I need to take this job. I'm going to do this. I don't like my boss. I'm taking this job. But what if the Lord wanted you to stick with that job? And only you know between you and the Lord those details, because for believers we have that relationship to know that, but I think we can all relate at least to this part of the story with Amaziah that you know, he just made, like, it makes sense. You know, like, it's the quickest route. He has money. You can buy it. Some people just say, say how much, and they write a, they write a check for it just to resolve it, to settle it, whatever. People that have extra money and excess money can do that. He basically hired this army that God was never going to bless on his own so we saw that he obeyed the law in executing those who killed his dad in a conspiracy and treason. But here, now he's doing his own thing. And yet, look at the Lord intervening. The Lord sends this man of God, no name, because there's lots of men and women of God with no names that God uses. And he shows up, and he says, the Lord's not with you in this, and you, you can't do this. Oh, but if you want to do it, go, but you're going to fall. So it's the voice of the Lord warning him, 
don't stay yoked and hooked to this wagon. Don't stay with this. It's going to be disaster for you. And here, Amaziah makes a good decision in that he receives it. But he's still thinking about the money because, you know, no one likes to lose money. And if you can get that money back, but by the way, that's why they call it a deposit, right? Sometimes you just got to eat it. And no one likes to lose money, and say, sometimes you lose a little bit of money because of your own folly. Sometimes you lose a lot of money because someone took it from you. Sometimes it's, a, it's the combo of both, but that's how life works. Which really brings us to this first point. When, when he's thinking about, man, I spent so much money for this army. Like, we, now we're going to just give this. There's no refund on this, you know? Like, see, in America, we can return stuff at Target, right? You can return it at Walmart. You can return all this stuff. Amazon will pick it up, all this stuff. Man, you go to Russia, you buy something in Russia, there's no returning it. When I was in Russia, I'm like, <laughs> you realize, hey, what you bought is what you get. And that's how Chile was as well. Most countries, you buy it, you don't like it, so what? Only in America. What a great country, by the way, huh? You can just return it at Target. Like, I'm always afraid to return stuff at Target, too. I'm always like, Jennifer's like, I'll take care of this, you know? Like, I'm intimidated to do returns, but there's no return on this army. And these guys are pirates, you know? They like to loot and plunder and steal and all that kind of stuff. So they're really upset. They killed 3,000 innocent people. So just the hiring of these guys cost the king 3,000 people in his kingdom. Just that one bad decision before he was rebuked from it has, a, has an effect. There's a cause and effect with good and bad decisions in life. And we understand that. This is the first of these decisions that's a, that was a bad decision, but grace is there and mercy is there to bail him out. And he heeds it, but still he's like, what about the silver, though? Like, that's a lot of... That's, I mean, listen, if you like precious metals, you don't like someone taking your American liberties. You know, like, you like your silver. The grandkids like to play with it. You know, it's fun stuff. Like, you don't want to just throw it away because on a bad decision, but sometimes you do. And what does the Lord say? The Lord, the Lord says to the man of God, it's not about the silver. It's about the heart. That's really what he's saying. Is not the Lord able to give you so much more than this? See, this is a key principle from Amaziah's life. Principle number one, as we learn from his folly, and it's actually a positive. If the Lord reproves you on a bad decision and shows you the right decision, there's a blessing in responding to it. Isn't the Lord so merciful and gracious to bail us out of bad decisions? He's bailed all of us out of some bad decisions. And the wisest thing we can do is receive that correction from the man of God, however the word of the Lord came to us, and not worry about the silver, because they're like, well, what about this? If I do the right thing, and I go back to that famous story when I did the drug and alcohol ministry in Vista with Ray Horton. And uh, he was willing to give his life to the Lord at the drug and alcohol ministry. It was a Thursday night. And he was like, we shared the gospel with him. He was like, I believe it all. I believe everything you're saying. I believe it all. You know, he's intense, you know, because it's a drug and alcohol ministry. And he was intense. And I say, well, do you want to receive Jesus right now? He's like, uh, I'm not sure. And I'm like, why not? He goes, because I have $20,000 of crystal meth in my closet. And I was like, oh, you can't go wrong. If you receive Christ right now, we go to your house, we pour out the crystal meth. You just made a $20,000 investment in the kingdom of God. You'll never look back, or you're the biggest fool there ever was. So let's do that. And he's like, well, what about the drug dealers? I'm going to be on the hook for 20 grand. Let Jesus worry about the drug dealers. You worry about what's doing what right, what is right with the Lord tonight. And he said, you're right. And I let him in prayer to receive the Lord. We went that night to his place, and we poured out $20,000 for the crystal meth in a field. And the drug dealers, he just told them he got saved. <laughs> you, know, you know, two years ago, 
<laughs> if you know tweakers, you know tweakers. Maybe you don't, but I do. So <laughs> they're like, what? You know, and he's just like, hey, I got saved. I gave my life to the Lord. And, but when the Lord gives you favor and protection, you have favor and protection. Is not the Lord able to replace the 100 talents of silver? See, it's never about the value of $20,000 crystal meth being poured out in the field when you give your life to Christ. It's about the value of obeying the Lord right here and now, this moment, this day, in this situation. And that's where the blessing is. And to his credit, even though he's thinking about the silver, it's a big investment, you know. It's a lot of money to hire an army that big and not use them. But to his credit, when he got the answer, so this is a dialogue. Note this dialogue. The man of God says, you're not going to win. Don't do it. He says, okay, what about the silver? He says, forget about the silver. It's about the heart. God's able to give you so much more. So what we learn is in obedience, there's so much more when we have the faith to obey and do the right thing. And make a wrong thing a right thing. Let me say that again. In obedience, there is so much more when we exercise faith and obedience to do the right thing. If you have to turn yourself in, turn yourself in. If you have to write that check that you know in integrity, you need to write that check and make it right, do it. If you need to write the letter saying you're sorry, do it. If you need to call the people and accept responsibility instead of the excuses and just completely accept it, do it. Because God has so much more when we're not worried about the silver or our reputation or what we're giving up, but we're focused on just obeying and being obedient, obeying and having the faith to be obedient and get the blessings. The blessings for Amaziah were in letting go, obeying the Lord and letting go of the silver. But isn't it cool that the Lord, through the man of God, said, because Amaziah is a money guy. And for all those money people, and most of us are money people, you know, the Lord said, just let, let go of that house or let go of that car, just do this thing or whatever. And the Lord's like, I'll give you so much more. Like, that's a real, you know. Remember the rich young ruler couldn't let go of everything to follow Jesus. He says, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus says, oh, you lack one thing. What is that? Give all your stuff away. And he's like, I can't do that. So he was a money guy that couldn't let go of the money to obey and walk by faith and become a great disciple of Jesus Christ. He chose his money they got left behind when he stepped into eternity, and he missed his calling. So there's a great blessing on obeying, even when it costs you something to obey that's obvious. It's going to always be the right time to do the right thing when the Lord says, you made a wrong decision, it's going to cost you to make it right, but make it right, and I can do so much more for you. Isn't that a wonderful principle of the Lord? We sing about the goodness of the Lord using at least three of the six songs we sing. We need to just trust the Lord. And, and it's hard to be reproved, but isn't it nice? Because some people, when they reprove you, they don't promise you a, a greater blessing in letting things go and paying things back or just eating it or losing your deposit. Some people, they just take their takers, and that's what they do, and they don't promise you anything. The Lord's like, hey, you, you just let that. Don't worry about the silver. I got that. The Lord is able to do so much more. So when you face that situation, we can learn from Amaziah's life, let it go and just let the Lord do it. Now, the second part of the story Just let it go. It's not about the money. It's always about the heart. Now, the second part of the story is found in verse 14. Now, it was so after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he bought the gods of the people of Seir, that's the Edomites, and set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? That's a great question, isn't it? It's like the ultimate, 
common sense question. Verse 16. So it was as he talked with him that the king said to him, Have we made you the king's counselor? Cease. Why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my advice. So this is dialogue number two and event number two. Because the first dialogue was related to letting go of the, the men, letting go of the silver, and defeating the Edomites. The second dialogue is a result of his victory over the Edomites and bad decisions he made from that victory over the Edomites. And now he, we're not just told it's a man of God, we're told it's a prophet. So it's a distinction, it's a different person, it would seem, coming to him. And first we have to ask ourselves just the basis of this common sense question. Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? But how many times are you talking to people that you love who are making really bad decisions with sin, the flesh, and the devil in the world where common sense doesn't prevail at all? That you say, like, how can you, how can you be making this decision in your life? How can you be doing this? What, to what end do you think there's a good result from this? And this, you deal with a lot of this when you're in ministry for 35 years, where people say this sometimes, but not that often. I have learned in the human experience, and you can observe this, people will take a known dysfunction that they've learned how to function in, a known dysfunction that they've learned how to function in, no matter how dysfunctional it is, oftentimes over the step of faith and common sense to a better healthy function. In other words, some people stay in a toxic situation in relationships, with business, with their money, with any sorts of things in life that are just maybe abusive, not healthy, and super detrimental to the things of God in their life. And they might stay with it and stay with it and stay with it because they've so learned how to function within dysfunction that they, they know what it's like. It, it might be yelling and screaming and an unhealthy marriage and all this stuff. But they'll take that because they've learned how to adapt into it and they know what to expect in it and how to manage it and work within it. Kids are very resourceful, of course, in surviving in unhealthy marriages. Kids find a way to just make them, you know, make it, try and make it better when it's really not. People do that in business, but they certainly do it in bad relationships. And even, to be honest, bad churches and bad worldviews and bad philosophies. I never cease to be amazed by what people will yoke themselves to and hitch their wagon to with philosophies and ideologies of men that are toxic, destructive, and totally antichrist, which is one thing in the world, but when people in the church do it, that's, that's the thing. It's like, but, you know, we're sinners, and we are easily deceived by the devil, and people who are sometimes at one point healthy with the Lord, once they start hardening their heart to the Lord like Amaziah, and they start bringing home the idols of people they conquered, they become ensnared to those idols. And that's what happens. Like, like the younger people tonight might say, like, what, why, why would you even bring home the idols? I mean, you have a prophet that says, they didn't work for them, why would they work for you? But who knows? You tell people this lifestyle is unhealthy and totally destructive for your psyche, your self-worth, your sense of self-esteem, all that. It'll just destroy you. You choose this lifestyle, it'll mess you up. If you do these drugs and you do them consistently, you'll be estranged from your spouse, you'll lose your spouse, you'll be estranged from your kids, you'll be estranged from your parents, and you'll be living on the streets pushing a grocery cart on Beach Boulevard. 
and the government's going to put you up in a hotel and say that's, and then the cops will show up when you have, with the Narcon when you're overdosing. And they'll go boom like that, and you'll do, wake up to do it another day. They didn't start that way. They ended that way. And in many cases, there are people that sat in youth groups at Shoreline or Calvary or somewhere else. It's amazing what people who know truth will do when they hook themselves up with falsehood. And you ask yourself, like, why? I remember with my sister when she was homeless, and I would try to have rational conversations with her when she was completely irrational. I'm like, Barbie, like, why? You, you lie, to, you steal, you threaten. You, why? Why? You, you're pushing a grocery cart. Why are you prideful? Why are you arrogant? Why are you like this and so stiff-necked and defiant? Why? You're living behind the dollar store next to the, where the Dempsey dumpster should be. That's where she lived. My mom took me there. Why are you so prideful and obstinate? You once taught women's Bible studies at North Coast Calvary. You were a leader. Oh, but she chose bad men. And they used her and destroyed her. Time and time again, toxic relationships. And in the end, addiction to painkillers and alcoholism, and there you go. But she was queen of her piece of planet Earth, where the Dempsey Dumpster was behind the dollar store there in Vista. That was her piece of earth. That's her bed, that's her bike, that's her gear. And if you know anything about homeless people, that's theirs, that's yours, and they'll fight over it. My sister said she had some huge fights being homeless. Full haymakers, just throwing them. And I've heard from people that minister in prisons that some of the most arrogant, prideful people are people that can find itself 10 by 10. That's their bed, and don't mess with it. But why? Why? Why does Amaziah think it's so important to have these idols in his house? That which God, this is what we need to understand. Young people, listen to me very carefully. That which is antichrist is always antichrist. That which is cursed, condemned by God, will always be cursed and condemned by God. It will never, ever be blessed by God. If God says it's evil, it's evil. And if God says it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says it's moral darkness, it's moral darkness. It will never be blessed. And the person who touches it and is owned by it will never be blessed so long as they touch it and are owned by it, ever. And that's the bottom line. So whether it's obvious sins or even worldly philosophies, because that's where the devil's so crafty. Remember what he said to Jesus? Has God said, you know, like, will this really go this way? It, it started that way with Eve, and then he used the same temptation on Jesus. Well, you know, like, it is written, you know, twisting stuff. Ah, it's In this journey of life that might go 80 years or more, depending if you live a rich, full life, we have to take thought take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. That's why in Colossians, with all those pseudo-intellectual philosophers, Paul just laid it out so clearly that whatever's not of Christ is just, it's folly and not to be deceived by it. In fact, I'll read the text to you right now. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. That's the idols of Mount Seir, body of Christ, WG. According to the basic principles of the world, that's Darwinism, that's transgenderism, the gay agenda. According to th these things that are not according to Christ. In Christ, there's origin. In Christ, there's gender. In Christ, there's marriage. In Christ, there's purpose, and they'll proclaim God in Christ Jesus. And all these philosophies that keep getting thrown at us and bombarding us in our timeline, which seem to only accentuate as we're going 
forward in our future, they are antichrist. They have always been antichrist. They will always be antichrist. And anyone who touches these things can never be blessed by them. And I said this last week. It's my science. Now, I might find a happy Darwinist someday, but I've yet to see him. And from the first Darwin sticker I ever saw in the early 90s on the back of a car, I've noticed people driving that car are frowning and unhappy. It's their disposition. And why would they be smiling if they think they came from inanimate matter, a rock that doesn't even have life, that somehow became like a tadpole, that became a fish and an alligator, and like some, you know, who knows, a platypus, and then a monkey, and then we act like monkeys, and we think it's funny. Never seen anyone smiling driving a car with a Darwin sticker. Why? Because their, their worldview is antichrist. They have, the, they have the gods of Mount Seir. They're the Esau idols, and God will never bless you in whatever you do. You might be a philanthropist. You might be a generous person. You might do all kinds of things. You might support Oprah and Bill Gates and all these other people and other little feel-good things around the world, the UN, the humanitarian crisis relief, and all that kind of stuff. NGOs, non-government organizations. You might even have your own NGO. We believe in Darwin, and you're giving away millions to help poor people on the other side of the planet. You will never prosper and you will never be blessed ever with the Lord. He will never bless that. In the beginning, God made them. On the sixth day, male and female, with clear gender identity and clear gender purpose and for the marriage plan as well, that he brought them together. Let God be true and every man a liar. And that's a problem with Amaziah. It's like you embrace these false philosophies not according to Christ, and you start going down the slippery slope. And so we have kids that are raised at Calvary Chapel High School, and they go to some college, and some empty-headed, knuckle-headed professor fills their mind with poison, and they come home and tell their parents they don't believe in Jesus anymore. <laughs> and they attack their parents' faith. I mean, Hannah's first day at school at OCC was a teacher getting up saying that people at Calvary Chapel High School think the world's flat. And Hannah's like, whoa. Another classmate stood up and said, I went to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa High School, and I can tell you we believe the world's round, and sat down. Put her in her place. But that's what you get. And that's what the devil does. He's like a battering ram. Falsehood, falsehood, gods of Mount Seir, gods of Esau, gods of Esau, falsehood, 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 and pounding away and pounding away until you finally say, you know what, we should just, we should just accept this. I'm tired of fighting this. Oh, now we should just embrace it because, you know, that's part of the whole new kumbaya of 2023. Now we should fund this. Now we should permit it. Now we should just go along with it. For the death and destruction of everyone who touches it. The gods of Mount Seir will always destroy you because sin is deceitful, the devil is vicious, and death is the end game of those two put together. And there's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but the end thereby is death. Christ is life and Christ alone. And his word is truth, and that's that. Amaziah, what folly. The king of Judah sets these things up and becomes enslaved to them. And so quickly they turn him from clarity of truth where he kept the law of Moses and executing those who uh, assassinated his dad. And he's concerned about silver and what do we do with the money. And now, why have you sought the gods of the people? On the second point, we would just move on from the saying, why have you sought the philosophies of men and the things of men? over the power of Christ and the promises of God. That's really what the prophet's saying. Why, why, why would you put your confidence in things that God would never bless and would never bring you joy, peace, abundant life, or anything like that? I've had this conversation with a lot of people in 35 years being a pastor. He said, why? Why would you leave your wife? Why would you do this? Why? 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 
why are you saying this? And uh, there's just some things you don't know. I just, when you look in the mirror and you and I look in the mirror, we should just tell ourselves let nothing exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ in our heart, in our mind. And let nothing sway us from the truth, absolute truth in the person and work of Christ, no matter how hard and no matter how powerful the attack of the devil is to get us to keep the idols of Esau and the Edomites in our house. Avoid that which is doomed. That is the second application. Avoid and shun philosophies, actions, and attitudes that are doomed by the living God. This was Amaziah's great downfall. Now we read on in verse 17. See, he's obstinate and he's arrogant, like, see, so I'm going to kill you. That, that's what happens. They take control of you, and now that which you knew was wrong, now you defend it, and you're going you're gonna to die on that hill fighting for that which you spoke against just six years ago. Verse 17, Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, hey, come, let's face one another in battle. Remember, these guys had killed 3,000 Judah, Judah citizens previously, that army from the north. And Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, uh, the thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, give your daughter to my son his wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. Indeed, you say that you've defeated the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up to boast. Stay at home now. Why should you meddle with trouble that you should fall, you and Judah, with you? But Amaziah would not heed, for it came from God that he might give them into the hand of their enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. So you see, this goes, it's point number two. Just, it's just God's hand is now fully against him. So Joash, king of Israel, and that's not like God's for Joash either. He's a bad guy. So Joash, king of Israel, went out, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belonged to Judah. It was a home game for Amaziah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Then Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, at Beth Shemesh. And he brought him to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gates of Ephraim to the corner gate. 400 cubits, two football fields plus. And he took all the gold and silver. <laughs> there you go, man. <sighs> he's so worried about the 100 talents of silver. Look what happens when he's being just a fool. He loses it all. Not some of it in a bad investment. You lose it all when you embrace the gods of the Edomites and you don't get rid of those idols. He took the gold and the silver, all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, the treasures of the king's house, and hostages, and returned to Samaria. He took his workforce, he took his future, human trafficking, all the above. Now, when the king of the north, Jehoash, which they both, they, the northern and southern kingdoms at this time had kings with similar names. They kind of cross over, so it gets confusing, but that's not our, uh, this, is, this is that king in the north. And he said, so this is the third dialogue. You follow me? We had the first dialogue with the man of God. Then we had the second dialogue with the prophet of God. And now we've got the third dialogue with the king of Israel, who he's going to go have civil war with and, and go to war with. And he says, he gives him a little parable like, hey, you know, you're pretty full of yourself. You beat the Edomites. So what? Stay at home. Don't pick this fight. You're not going to win this fight. And it was true. And so he gave, the king of Israel gave him good counsel but he, couldn't, he didn't heed the counsel, and then we're told he really couldn't heed the counsel. And that's that compound effect of bad decisions over and over where you get momentum going and inertia, like the playground spinning wheel. It's hard to stop it. And when you're out of control and you're just spinning against the Lord, it's really hard to stop it. Like, think of how hard it is to stop those things on a playground and then wind it back up the other way. Like, he, we now know the real 
cruxable and the key juncture of this man's life was when the prophet came and said, why would you trust in the gods that couldn't defeat you and become enslaved to them? Which just reminds how important obedience is every day. Because acts of disobedience on a certain day, we don't know how far reaching they could be. Us older people can probably think of certain things we did on certain days with great remorse that had a huge compound effect on our life, possibly for months, if not years. I mean, I know some great men that were incredible in ministry. They're no longer in ministry because they made bad decisions with women or whatever. And everyone's like, how could that happen? Well, it didn't happen overnight. That, that playground wheel was moving at a high speed, and then it just, that's the way it went. Super sobering, isn't it? Like, I want to smile and be friendly about it, but like, man, this is like, this is like, this is like not smiling friendly stuff right here. This, and this is the word of God, verse by verse. But yet again, you know, this, this word came forth like, you shouldn't meddle with trouble. So we've seen the Lord is able to give you more. We've seen why have you sought the gods of the people, and now meddling with trouble that you should fall. And so this is that final warning and lesson for us to learn from the life of Amaziah, not to meddle with trouble that would bring down our downfall. Solomon said it best, can a young man take fire to his bosom and not get burned? The answer, of course, is no. And we just we meddle with trouble sometimes. We get involved in things with people we shouldn't be involved with. We, we hook up with these guys. And I remember the tragedy, and it was a tragedy. Oh, it was a long time ago, like even before WG began. It was like 1999, 1998 when I was traveling on speaking at youth groups and doing youth camps after we came back from the East Coast. But there was a family I got involved with. And there was this kid, and the parents were going through a d divorce, and it was a bad thing. And this kid had never drank an alcohol before. He'd never been in that situation. It was in the Inland Empire. And on Friday night, I got in a car with these guys. Four guys got in a car. They were drinking. That car wrapped itself around a tree. He wasn't the driver. Everyone walked away except him. He was paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life. And I remember seeing him at Bible college a couple years later in his wheelchair, just thinking like, oh, What a tragedy, right? Just one, you young people, listen to me. One bad decision with the wrong people on one night can, can keep you from walking the rest of your life. Like, us older people understand this, but what a tragedy. Just one, one, one really bad decision. And I have some in my life. You don't need to know about them. I'm sure you probably got some in yours, and I don't want to know about them. Let's lay them at the foot of cross of Jesus. That's where they belong. But meddling with trouble that you should fall. Pride and arrogance is what Amaziah ended up with. He, he threatened the prophet that was speaking truth to help him. And then when he's even reproved by the king of Israel, saying, like, dude, you don't pick this fight. Don't pick this fight, man. I'm, I'm telling you, don't pick this fight. And still he goes out, and when it's all said, and can you imagine, like, you know when a bully kind of grabs you by the ear? Can you imagine, like, I mean, like, Joash from the north could have just, could have just had him, at, as he's going through Jerusalem, he could have just put a hook in his ear, like, hey, hey, see that in your living room? That's mine. I want all this furniture you just got. Uh, open the safe, take what's left of the bronze shields of Rehoboam, take that gold, take that silver, take it all. And these people, all these cute girls, all these young men, take them all, we're taking them all. Good luck. His disobedience politically destroyed the economy of his people. 
You wouldn't even think about that when you look at this text. But he is a king. He's a politician. And these are the people that were entrusted in not just spiritual, but practical civil government. His entire economy was destroyed by his folly and his hard-heartedness and arrogance. So it just reminds us to, to walk in humility, have our heart be tender, and when we're approved by the Lord, either through the man of God, the prophet of God, or the king who's our enemy, receive it. We've learned this in life, and you older people know this. Your enemies will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Your friends will usually tell you what you want to hear. Sometimes your friends are afraid to tell you what you need to hear. But your enemies, I have found in people that, have, that hate me, they've said things that were very true about me. And now that I'm, you know, at 35 years in ministry, I wish I would have kept all those letters and those emails. Because there, there was things in them. Even that time Pastor Chuck called me in his office and someone, t- you know, sent him a fax complaining about me uh, or an email or whatever because he had me teach on a Sunday night and I said it's something that really upset a lot of people. I shouldn't have, I didn't even realize it would go that way, but it really touched on a nerve with a lot of people. And uh, he <laughs> said, uh, when you can call in Chuck's office, it's not to say, how you doing, okay? Just so you know, that never, that never happened with Pastor Chuck. It, oh and all. So he called me and I tell the story, he goes, uh, this is for you. And it was like, Pastor Chuck. I was, like, I was like, oh no. And he goes, I have my own. That one's yours. Have a great day. Don't be so quick to throw those things away. That king from Israel, he might tell you something you really need to hear. It might be the last chance you get to get off the bus before it goes over a cliff. I've told you, a 29-page letter attacking me from a former congregant here, page 28, had all the good stuff. That was true. I just had to endure the 27 pages. Even so, uh, we got to have thick skin and take it like a woman of God or a man of God. If we walk in humility and we consistently look to humble ourselves and seek humility, you know, if you read Proverbs every day, like I do, you can't read 20 Proverbs without one of them just saying, the fool rejects good counsel and the wise man receives it. Like, I'm reminded every day of reading Proverbs, receive reproof from my wife or Sam or any of you when that's what the Lord's saying. Because that's how I'm going to grow. That's how you're going to grow. But if we just think we always got it right and we're the center of the universe, we're going to be like King Ahaziah and we can't even recognize the destruction and death that's going to come from the idols of Esau in our living room. And not only how it's going to affect me personally, but the people I love and the people I'm called to lead. It's, it's a powerful story of the folly of Amaziah. And in the end, I find that the closure on this entire story is fascinating that in verse 4, where it said that he, he did what is written in the law of the book of Moses... One for one, but then he went 0 for 3 with, well, he went, I guess he went right on the first one with the silver, but then the next two really, it didn't even matter because it was over with what he did. But he started out doing exactly what the law of God said, but he ended, which we didn't read it, but the very end of the chapter is him being assassinated, just like his dad was. He was assassinated. He fled for his life, and he was assassinated. And so we just read that this is the man who did what was right, but not with the loyal heart. He, he did enough that looked good, it was right, but he had the loyal heart. And his compromises led him down a slippery slope, 
where he did what was right according to the law of Moses, and he ended up being assassinated just like his dad in all of his folly, having cost his people quality of life. He cost his people, like think what he cost his people. Think of political leaders in times past when they bring this kind of sorrow upon the people where, he, where they cost them their livelihood, their, their economy, their freedom. That's what he cost them. Man, if he just stuck with, he did what was right according to the law of Moses, it would have been so good. So the beauty of opportunity for all of us is to learn from someone like Amaziah. He's a fascinating person. I don't want to stand before the Lord on the day of Christ Jesus and have the Lord say, you did what was right, but not with a loyal heart. Do you? You want to stand before the Lord and say, you do what is right with a loyal heart. And if we have the breath of life, we can move toward the loyal heart. So whatever folly we've made, we can purpose, like, we're going to do what's right. And we're, we're not going to worry about the silver. We're going to worry about what's doing right. We're going to focus on that. We're going to receive correction when we know this is these ideas, these thoughts, these possessions, or whatever they are. they got to go. When the Lord says let them go, they got to go. And then really to walk in humility so we know, like, you know what? We shouldn't do this. It's a bad idea. And to be able to receive it and grow from it and be the better for it. There could have been such a different story and ending to this man's life. Instead, it's 29 years, and that was his generation. So what I like about when I read a text like this is it encourages me, like, I'm alive and I can do better, right? Can you agree with me? We're alive. We can do better. Like, we're, we're not an eternity. We're like, oh, I wish I could go back and not be Amaziah. No, we're here right now. And we can, we can apply this. And, and we, can, we can get better with the Lord. That's what faith and obedience does. And so it's not about our past that we can't change. It's about our future that's in front of us. And so we're not left hopelessly, hopelessness reading about Amaziah. We're, we're left encouraged and built up because, like, we don't have to be this way. Not at all. Yes and amen.